0: Hello and welcome to JW Podcast. We've got our British contingent with us. Hello, Steve. Hello. How are you? I'm
1: great, thanks.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um, anything exciting happened since we last spoke? Oh my
1: goodness, yes. I've just moved house. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so I can't find anything.
0: Do you know where the tea bags and the toilet roll are? Most
1: important things, yes.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Most
2: important things. And we have Heather with us. Hello, Heather. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Anything exciting happened? Well, I did go camping uh, with yourself last weekend, Louise, which was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was if Excellent. not a bit debaucherous, but <laughs> <It is. laughs>
0: yeah. not at all. Yeah. We did things that I couldn't remember the next day.
2: Yeah, which is how it's supposed to be. I think right. so it's fine.
0: My mm-hmm. mum my mum mum texted me in the morning and said, "After you went to bed, somebody got a guitar out (laughs) how does she know when i went to bed and apparently you'd put that on i might
2: have done a live feed right okay (laughs) yeah
0: well we've got an interview today with naomi who was interviewed on radio Two. i don't know steve did you hear that interview
1: i haven't listened to it yet
0: it's quite interesting. You're either a Radio 2 listener or you're not. And if you were, generally you don't get to hear Jeremy Vine, because I think it's during the day. OK, so we've got Naomi with us. Hi, Naomi. How are you? Hi, Louise. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And um, just to introduce you to Steve. Hello. Hi,
1: Steve. Hi, how are you? And to
0: Heather. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, Heather. So, Naomi, what we'd
3: really like to know, first of all, is what, what's your backstory? Well, I was born um, to a family of Jehovah's Witnesses. My uh, parents were second generation and uh, my grandfather had become a witness when my father was nine. And my mother's family um, were contacted when she was 16. And so then that's all I ever knew was was uh, a witness upbringing. I'm the second oldest of 10 children. We moved to Wales when I was four years old. My father was in farming. And so we moved to Wales. And so f- there were periods of time when we didn't actually associate with the congregation um, regularly. We were what was known as an isolated group. And...
0: Yes, I, I remember hearing about you, you strange isolated
3: <laughs> groups. Weren't you always a bit rogue and do your own thing? and? <laughs> Well, we, we we had to really, you know, <laughs> we well we could because there was no one giving us directions. But I I do have intermittent memories of of being with um, with congregations, and it sort of affected my attendance really because there was never that consistency, and so there was that isolation on on different levels. You know, isolation that I felt at school, isolation on a congregation level because I wasn't always involved with the congregation. And so, yes, there's sort of a bit of a dichotomy going on there.
0: Yeah, it sounds quite lonely. Um, did you have your own, did Did you find differences from things that you did to things
3: that the congregations did then when you did meet up with them? Not that I can particularly recall. Um, well, except that my my parents were a law unto themselves actually thinking about it. And so when my mother decided in 1969, there was a big international assembly coming up at Wembley and the baptism was going to be at Lip Lido, which was where she got baptised. So she thought it would be great if history repeated itself and her two oldest children would get baptised there. Well, I was 13 at the time oh, and my great. brother was going on 15. And I can remember, well, the the... Um, whoever was in charge of the congregations at that time, I think it was it was like one person, I had no idea that my parents had made this decision that we would get baptised. And my father went through about 80 questions, I think it was then, in a yellow book called, um, it was the lamp book, your word is a lamp to my foot or something like that. It was a, a scriptural reference. And um, I can remember asking my mother, do I have to get baptised? And And she said, well, you believe it's the truth, don't you? And I said... Um, yes. Well, there we are then. And that was it. You know. Did she shake her fist at you? You believe it's the truth, don't you? <laughs> no, not really. She just said it in that sort of way that you, you go with a parent that you don't argue. And it was like I had no answer to that, you know, because I did believe it was the truth because it was what my parents taught me to believe. And and I thought we had the truth. You know, there is always this thing with the witnesses that we have the truth. We're the elite you know we're different from everybody else we've got something special you know and it sort of sets you apart it creates that almost an elitism really mm-hmm. so that was that time we we went off to um Wembley um and and it, it was quite chaotic it was something like a an eight-day assembly it felt like a 28-day assembly I have to say mm-hmm. it just seemed to go on forever
1: no, and absolutely. I can remember
3: standing in in the stands, we stood up, you know there was a section for us that were getting baptized, and standing up and we were asked the it was two two questions then well, it still is two questions, isn't it? Hmm. And we were asked the two questions, I couldn't even hear the questions the- the <laughs> sound was so bad, I just followed when everybody else said yes, I said yes as well <laughs> and we we were bused off to to Lip lido and um and it was it was it was all just a blur, you know, I got baptized and everybody else was sort of feeling wonderful and all rejoicing and I I had a nosebleed and I just I was in a, I was in a daze and I thought I don't know what that was all about <laughs> but I I had this sinking feeling that somehow I'd done something that I couldn't get out of
2: oh
0: yeah good feeling so you got dumped at
3: 13 yes yeah wow um you had you had a lot of um, siblings, didn't you? Yes, as I said, I'm the, the second oldest of ten. So we we were. I think my mother, were actually being an isolated group, was trying to create her own little congregation. Yeah, I was just going to say that ten.
0: I, I mean, could have been Catholics, couldn't you? Well, that's
3: what people constantly asked. They would say, "Oh, are you Catholic? No, Jehovah's Witnesses." <laughs> so it was always a good talking point, you know. Was, everything was geared up to being talking points and opportunities to to open up conversations, you know, sort of from a very early age. Yes, I can. Yes. I can remember also at the meetings they used to have this giant chart that would sit there, and and it was like a business report. And it had all these figures on it. And I used to sit there and it used to fascinate me that there were all these figures to to measure how well we were doing, to chart our progress, you know. And I imagined that as the days went on, because by this time, you know, we were approaching 1975. And I imagined those numbers escalating rapidly and they didn't. So, wait, so they had... What what was the chart? Well, it was it was like you would use in business, like a spreadsheet. What was it? People's hours and stuff. Yeah. Hours, Bible studies, return visits, or they were called back calls back then. Yeah, back calls. Back yeah. calls. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just all all this information. Um, and yeah, it was like a business report on a, on, on on the wall. Yeah. The yeah, like a gi- a giant spreadsheet poster.
1: Wow. Never seen one of those before.
3: No, I haven't. Oh, there you go. I I go back a long way, don't I? So
0: so were your meetings just like in your
3: house then, if you were an isolated group? Oh, our meetings were a little bit um, random, (laughs) let's say. My my father was a hardworking farmer. So he had cows to milk. He he was very busy. My mother was busy producing children. I was busy being a (laughs) second mum. And um, and sort of missing out a little bit on my childhood. Um, And so occasionally, you you know, we would there would be the family study, which would be something that was a bit disorganized. My father was quite strict, but even so, trying to have a family study with us lot was like herding cats, I think. And of course, it was boring. So kids would disappear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If there were ten of you, somebody could slip out, come yes. in, perhaps not be noticed. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. So, what we really want to know is how did you get from there to being on the Jeremy Vine show?
3: Well, obviously, I I had to leave the religion <laughs> as part of my backstory, and that happened that happened eleven years ago. Um, I, I'd been kind of. Um, suffering with cognitive dissonance as the years had gone by and I remember November 1995 the watchtower about the change in generation and I just oh, that yeah. really disturbed me um and I, but I couldn't talk about it to anyone because you realize that if you start you know sort of voicing concerns you get kind of marked out as being all leanings towards apostasy and so you don't want to do that so I kept it all to myself um and then you know sort of gradually things got worse and worse and until eventually somebody mentioned to me about the, the the whole Watchtower UN thing and it just started un, unravelling like an unstable cardigan. And it's um, <laughs> a good analogy. It's a very
1: is. good analogy.
3: There's one thing about being brought up as an witness? you can always put your hands on a good analogy when
1: you want. <laughs> a of good illustration. <laughs> that's
3: it. So, yeah. So uh, you can't see my audience contact and use of notes here. Yeah. <laughs> <tenu. laughs> W, so, work on. so I, having left at 15, because the story with Jeremy Vine starts back then, I left school at 15 because we were so close to the end that I didn't apparently need an education. I didn't need to be equipped to support myself in the world. And yes, it was decided that I should leave school, even though the teachers had told my parents that I was Oxbridge material. Wow. And so off I went to sort of make my, my nervous way in the world. And, um, and so eventually, you know, I, I sort of met my first husband, got married, had children and so on, but eventually I got to a point where I, I need some sort of qualification. You know, I'm 60 years old now and I have no financial means to support myself into my old age. I have no pension, nothing like that. My first husband died. I remarried and that ended and so um, a couple of years ago, um, I decided I needed to get some sort of qualification. And one of my passions has always been health and wellness and nutrition. So I, I signed up for a three year course in London at the College of Naturopathic Medicine to get a diploma in naturopathic nutrition, because it's just something I'm really, really familiar with, having done lots of research on. And so the cafe where I met Jeremy Vine is around the corner from uh college and it's just around the corner from the BBC and so almost it it was almost our crossing paths was inevitable and I you know I always spot well-known people and always manage to end up talking to them (laughs) um because you know you're trained as a witness to strike up conversation with all of (laughs) us so um, build rapport quickly um, and uh, make eye contact and make sure they can't get out the door. Um, <laughs> no, not really. So, um, yeah, I picked up my coffee um, one morning, and it happened twice that I saw him. And both times I just spoke to him. It was just natural that, our, you know, we sort of, I, I walked in the door, he looked up, and I just said, oh, hello. Um, and then the second time I got chatting with him, and I mentioned about the uh, results of the, the hearings, the findings of the hearings of the Australian Royal Commission. Um, and I because I he was with Nick Robinson at the time and um, a reporter for the BBC and I thought it would be perhaps something that he would want to cover on his program but a bit too controversial I think and then we, we were chatting away and I happened to mention being the second oldest of 10 and he pounced on that and said right we need to get you on the show to talk about that And so he wanted my contact details. I gave him my card. And a couple of weeks later, the researcher contacted me. And that resulted in me going on the show in February. So I talked about, you know, being the second oldest of 10. And it was a great interview. It went down really well. Bit of an awkward moment where he said about Christmas, I managed to kind of just skim around that one because I "I don't want to get into the whole JW thing at this stage because I quite like to come back. You know, so and he said he said to me off air um, there was something else you wanted to talk about. I said, oh yes, I said it's it's but it's a whole other subject. And I reminded him what it was. Oh yes, he said that is. I said, he said that's a whole other program. I said I can come back. I said hopefully. <laughs> and so when his producer came in, you know, oh well done, that was really good. You came across really well. And he said, Phil, we're getting Naomi back to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that's what happened. Uh, the researcher was instructed to contact me and she wasn't quite sure why. And so I gave her a, sort of some idea and she picked up on um, being brought up as a witness, being in a witness family and shunning, being shunned. Because having left, my family mm. who saw witnesses shunned me. So that's how it came about. And um, so he focused a little bit more um, than I would have perhaps wanted to on the birthdays and Christmas thing. The main thing for me was actually flagging up for people the shunning issue and also the fact that I knew there'd be people listening who would be witnesses or ex-witnesses you know disfellowshipped ones who possibly felt they were the only ones it was happening to and so I thought more than anything I wanted to be able to sort of reach out to them and sort of let them know that they weren't the only ones Mm. so you know and I think that's you know I I managed to achieve that
0: yes That did come over You came over really clear And I was going to ask you What was the focus of the interview And you've kind of explained that Because um, I thought the same That he focused quite a lot On the birthdays and the Christmas And oh that must have been awful But but I, I was aware that you did Make some really clear points I mean you're very well spoken And you come over really clearly So that was good Thank you. And also Radio 2 is a really safe it's a safe show for witnesses to listen to, isn't it? Yes. they th- Well, they think it's
3: safe. It used to be safe. Do you know, I remember some years ago when... Do you remember that, that thing? Uh, it was in Japan, a terrorist attack in Japan with um, a chemical agent called ricin or something where people yeah, were killed and... And that's it. It was on the on the on the underground or something, wasn't it? Mm. And I remember it being discussed on Radio too, and about the, um, something to do with it was a cult, and they yeah. actually said, and I, they mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, and they said to this expert on cults, "Are Jehovah's Witnesses a cult?" And he said no, and he gave a reason why not. And I remember thinking a, a sense of relief and thinking, "Oh great, I'm not in a cult. See, it's not a cult. Expert on Radio has said it's not a cult, mm-hmm. so I'm okay." And and now, you know, sort of some years later I was able to get on Radio Two and redress the balance and actually flag up that no, it really is a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a
1: you... lot of I think a lot of people don't really realise it's a cult, do they? Because they don't see them, you know, drinking Kool-Aid or, mm. or anything like that. Um but yeah. um Steve Hassan, who wrote uh, a few books on um on cults he has now included a lot of Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, examples in, in his new edition of his book. So, right. yeah, another expert actually says they are a cult.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Hassan said he didn't realise that Witnesses were a cult. He wrote his first book without any reference to them at all. And then loads of witness ex-Witnesses wrote in mm. and said about that um, combating mind control mm. um oh my god this is me this is me and he got so he got deluged with so many ex witness letters that that's when he started thinking oh are these guys a cults mm.
3: interesting yes uh, it's funny when i first left properly because i realized that actually once i'd figured out the right question because when i i questioned the whole un thing with the presiding overseer and i got the i printed off the guardian article and, you know, I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise this. And he sort of, he'd been at Bethel at the time that it, it had surfaced in 2001. And this was 2000, January 2005. And so he, he, I said, you know, he would look into it. I, I said, can you explain it? And he said, well, no, and he said, I'll look into it, which he never did. But he looked at me and he just said, you do believe it's the faithful and discreet slave, don't you? And I felt really disturbed by that. And I looked at my friend across the foyer of the Kingdom Hall, my friend Sally, who knew what was going on, and I felt like saying to her, "Run, Sally, run!" You know, who is sort of uh-huh. like like in a science fiction movie where everybody's being taken over by the Borg. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so once he said that, I started seriously thinking about that whole. Well, all my life I've I've accepted that they are the faithful and discreet slave. On what basis? And then mm. I came across Don Cameron's book, Captives of a Concept. Yes. And that was key for me. It really was. I read that and then I thought, that's the question I should have asked. And that anybody who's considering becoming a witness or is studying a witness, that's the question they need to ask. And, and I, I was going to meetings and sitting in the library um it you know sort of in in the second mm-hmm. hall, as it were to to because i i didn't feel up to sitting in the main hall that's where you went if you felt a bit fragile, you know, and <laughs> you couldn't sort of be in a room full of people, so <laughs> it was just an excuse for me to sit in the in the library and sit there with all the old books and start checking out all the references i'd been reading and i I can remember as a child, my parents had some very old publications, and I remember they used to make me feel a bit creeped out. And that sort of as an adult, looking back, I understand why. When you have these feelings, there is a reason. You know, your gut is trying to tell you something, that something isn't right. And yeah. now that I understood the whole history, of, you know, about Charles Chase Tace Russell and his involvement in and and all that dodgy stuff and all the symbology and everything, um, no matter how you might be able to explain it away, it's there. And and yeah. so that sort of reinforced really the the huge move that I was going to make in actually ditching, you know, my lifelong attachment to this weird religion.
0: Um, you're right, it is on all the books, isn't it? All the old books, the 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 symbols and the Egyptian wings and things. Um, Heather, I was just gonna ask you, before you met Gordon what did you, th- did you think
2: Jehovah's Witnesses was a cult or just a little weird religion? Mm. Um, yeah, no, just a weird religion, I think. I don't mm. think I knew enough about it to think it was a cult. Um, I didn't know that much about it. I, I think I maybe thought some of the rules were, If I, I suppose if I'd have unpicked it, then I would have looked at the rules and thought, hang on, this is a cult. Mm. But I never really unpicked it never it never came into my life enough for me to try and, you know, examine it. So Yeah. Um so I think the, the great British public who aren't Jehovah's Witnesses probably don't realise. Mm. And I think that's what we're up against
0: actually. And I think that's why things like your programme that you did on Radio Two Naomi are so important mm. because Radio Two will reach a lot of people and to have that on there will inform people just a little bit because we don't it doesn't really come into people's lives much to be honest other than the occasional knock on the door
3: yeah and there's a very occasional joke about jehovah's witnesses yeah you know there's... but but it's always quite safe yes. isn't it it's yes.
0: quite a, a safe little funny yeah and it's funny so... heather
3: saying about the rules when you actually get familiar with all the rules one of the things that happened before i left was I started wearing trousers because I could. Ne- I'd never understood that whole thing about trousers, and I had some um, because I had. A, I was running a business. I was wearing smart trouser suits, and I felt really miffed that I wasn't allowed, or it seemingly allowed, to wear them to the hall. And, and somebody else was wearing trousers as well for health reasons, and but she was sort of looked down upon. And I just, you know, I spoke to one or two of the elders about it, and they said, well, there's you know, there is, there's no reason why not, we just rather you didn't, mm. and so I started wearing them, and of course that creates awkwardness for the parents then of teenage girls who want to wear trousers, because they say, well, you know, Sister Rowling's wearing trousers, why can't we? And yeah. and yet, yeah, yeah it's, it's strange, and the, these elders, you know, came around to see me, and they said, there is a dress code, you know, and I said, well, where is it? You know, have we got a book of rules somewhere? So you, you, when you start really questioning, and I can remember inviting somebody to the hall. I knew she didn't possess a skirt. And I thought, well, I'm not going to make an issue out of it because actually I can't explain it. So I'll just pretend that, you know, it doesn't matter. And when she started studying and coming to the meeting, she said, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I knew you didn't have a skirt. She went out and bought a skirt, you know, to comply. She, thankfully, she she didn't become a witness. Um, So, yes, I (laughs) am I think I'm I'm fairly safe in saying that I I never managed to convert, be involved in anybody's conversion.
2: Oh, well done. (laughs) Recruitment. If, um, I mean, if today somebody decided, me, for example, right, I'm going to start up a a religion, God has spoke to me or whatever, people would think I'm absolutely balmy. You know, people, the the general public would just think, what the hell's going on here? You know, she's a nutcase. (laughs) But we've kind of, we, we accept all the ones that already exist because they happened before us, because they happened, you know, many moons ago and thousands yeah. of years ago. So we accept them, no matter how crazy they are. Yeah. Mm. You know, even going just, just back to Christianity, even some of the things that we just accept that because it happened before us. But if it were to happen now, we'd think it was nuts.
1: I would say it's really amazing how quickly a religion can become kind of mainstream and acceptable. I mean, if you look at Scientology, you know, um, Ron L. Hubbard. He was a sci-fi writer and you know he, he just made up this religion really in order to control people and now you know um, at least in some countries it's viewed as a, as a religion it's it's just it's balmy it's absolutely crazy
0: but he had a really good marketing gimmick to propagate it it, it wasn't just like a set of beliefs it had this thing about with the tin cans and mm. the the stress thing you know, and if you do this this stressometer thing we can and we can help you reduce that. It kind of and it didn't it it was around about the fifties where people were getting into um alternative type things, i don't know, like yoga and exercise <clears> classes, <throat> and it fitted into that and it swept across America, didn't <clears throat> it like um like say yoga would or mm. or meditation or something like that he hooked it on the back of a product. And that's how it spreads. So if, if you had a product with your religion, Heather.
2: Oh, right. Well, I can find one. So. Yeah. yeah. Don't know what it is yet. Yeah. <laughs> the Jehovah's Witnesses have a product. They have a very
3: saleable product. And Ray Franz, I think, um, actually summed it up in, I think it was his first book, um, C- Crisis of Conscience. Oh, no, actually, it may have been his second book, In Search of Christian Freedom, where he describes the good, the good news that the Witnesses preach. You actually can't find that in the New Testament. You know, this whole thing about Armageddon's coming. We're going to you're going to survive. You can survive Armageddon into a new paradise earth. And he described it as a spiritual materialism because it's something that's very material and it it addresses this sort of inherent human need that we have to to live forever or to to live in, in peaceful circumstances, to have that wonderful life. I can remember one woman calling on her with the the magazine she said I'm fed up of seeing your illustrations of people eating mountains of fruit I hate grapes
2: (laughs) (laughs) also um it depends what the product is doesn't it because if you've got a, a desire in mind to um maybe bump off a few people or or something you can you can sort of follow the the steps of Charles Manson and, and the Manson family and if you've got nine people you want to kill he didn't kill anybody but he instructed all his followers to do so and they murdered nine people you know, they all that was a cult that was in a lived in a commune, and mm. um, oh. he managed to convince them that that's that's what he you know they should be doing for whatever reason. I don't know. There's,
3: don't you think there's a parallel situation now with the the people, the witnesses being instructed by the, the governing body to effectively psychologically kill people? Yeah. With the shunning, what they're yeah. doing is they are desensitizing people to their natural what I would say God-given natural affection, you know, Mm -hmm. natural affection for your family members is is something you should have. And they're actually getting people to kill that off in themselves and desensitizing themselves to it
2: so that they can shun people that they used to love. Is that because they, they, um, they say that when the Armageddon does come, then you won't feel as upset because you will have already broken that tie and those people won't be coming with you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that is part of it. Mm. Yeah, and actually I made a point in a recent video where I said shunning relies on you caring about something more than the blackmailer cares about it. So like in a normal family, you love them and they love you and it cuts both ways and so breaking that bond would hurt you both. Mm. So they have to have this top trump of not caring Mm. It relies on you caring that your mum's not speaking to you or your auntie's not speaking to you, but your auntie or your mum not caring. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise, they're punishing the self as well, aren't they? Yes, exactly.
3: Yeah, yeah. So they are. They're playing very, very powerful psychological games. Mm. Yeah, and I, I remember when I uh, about the time that I left, my second um, no, it's after. Uh, my my second marriage broke up after I left. Um, it was about five five years later, and I'd been on it, when I first left. I'd been on a forum called Paradise Cafe, um, which was enormously supportive. It was fantastic to be on there and and just sort of be discussing online different things, and you know realizing that I wasn't alone. And people, several people mentioned George Orwell's book 1984 and the parallels with Washtower and Big Brother. And I eventually, strange timing, I know, to be going through a marriage breakup and decide to read a really depressing book. Um, And I took it on holiday with me and I read it and it was I was quite shocked at the parallels they have. You know, I don't know if any of you have read 1984. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, the Ministry of Truth and the way Mm -hmm. that Winston Smith has to keep rewriting history. Yeah. Um, And everybody just follows along with now we believe this. Oh, no, we don't believe that anymore. Now we believe this. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I think the parallels between the cult and, for instance, repressive regimes like in North Korea, they're just exactly the same. It's exactly the same thing. It's the bite model that Steve Hassan Mm -hmm. puts forward, isn't it? Behaviour control, information control, which is what um, fascist regimes do emotional control and thought control and it's the same thing and that's why sometimes i see people posting online and saying oh my god it's just like a it's just like a communist regime well yeah it is Mm. it's exactly the same tools well
1: i read a book uh, a few years ago um called this is paradise by um, a man a north korean man who has escaped north uh, escaped his country uh he was called Kang. And um, it was just amazing. As I was reading through this book, of of course, you know, there are not public executions in the Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that. But, you know, many of the the aspects of daily life just reminded me so much of just growing up in the Witnesses, you know, from, you know, this kind of um, personality cult kind of thing. um, The... The, the, the governing body is definitely a personality cult, especially recently. Mm, yeah. Especially recently, now they've got that JW yeah. broadcast thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the parallels are just quite striking. Yeah.
0: I read a book on people who'd escaped North Korea, and I thought the same thing. One of the things that struck me was that if there was, say, a husband and wife, and both were planning to escape, they wouldn't tell each other because you just didn't know mm. who was going to dob you in. Mm. And so even your very, very closest loved ones, you would not tell them that you were leaving. And I thought, that not that the same as the witnesses, where when you're planning to leave, you don't tell your wife or your husband because you don't know how they're going to react, if they're going to cut you off, if they're going to dob you in. And um, I thought that was a real parallel.
1: Oh, I was just saying there was another really interesting parallel um, whereby, um, when you if you commit a crime uh, under the North Korean regime, your parents' generation and your your children's generation, all members of your family, go to prison. And I was thinking that's very similar to you know the idea that I mentioned in the last program actually that you know if you're a child and you know your parents do something wrong you know you're responsible in a way you're responsible for that you will die at armageddon that kind of thing you know during the flood all of the children died because their parents had sinned you know and yeah it's it's ridiculous it's absolutely the parallels are very striking there
0: so naomi going back to our interview i just wondered what had happened since then since you've been on the um, radio
3: well as you know i Literally the day before the interview, I'd been thinking about putting up a a page on Facebook. And the day before um, I put it up, um, Live Life, Be Free, Breaking the Chains, because I thought there's going to be these people who are listening who will perhaps want to know where they can go. They need somewhere to go. And Mm -hmm. I thought this page I could use. It would be a public page and that I would be able to post links to other websites like JW Survey um links to um references to books and p- perhaps also counselors and therapists you know it's a work in progress the page so i mentioned it to jeremy vine before we went on air and he said fine yeah that's great you can mention that if i forget to bring it up he said make sure you get it in and so he remembered anyway so so as a result of that um you know i've had a lot of people visiting that page a lot of people get in touch and I'm able to sort of point them in the direction of you know right the right support that they need and so many people thanking me in on the page and in private messages and on the BBC2 uh, radio 2 um facebook page saying thank you for for being strong and speaking out and it's so resonated for me mm-hmm. you know and it just so much positive stuff there was also a certain amount of negative stuff and I think I will Um, put a little sort of paragraph on the the Facebook page to say, if you're an active Jehovah's Witness, you really shouldn't be here. And, you know, this is for support for people who have been damaged by your religion. So you know, don't come along and add to the damage. And I've had Mm. a a few trolls come on and um, you can hear the cognitive dissonance. Some, mm. One person was disfellowshipped, and she's saying, "I'm now working my way back, and this is the best religion, and this is the truth, and blah blah blah." Um, and other people have come on, and you know they've sort of answered them and dealt with them. And that's been that's been good. So there's also um, it struck me as interesting that there were some people who considered me to be bitter and angry. And and they, they actually said, oh, this is just one woman's bitter bitterness. She's venting. And I thought, I don't think I sounded as if I was venting at
2: all. No, you didn't come across that way at all. And I thought,
3: well, it would be quite interesting to maybe write about that. um, Because there's, there's quite a few things, different areas that I thought I'd like to enlarge upon. One of them is that the thing that I am not bitter and angry. Um, Yes, it impacted on my life negatively. In in many ways, but I've dealt with it, and I think I'm a stronger person for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is the um, the embarrassment. I think you know when people have been conned, they've been scammed. They don't like to say anything because they feel embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And I thought going out there in public and saying yes, I believed this, I was told this, and I believed it, and I went along with it for a, a lot longer than perhaps I should have done. And yes, I felt a degree of embarrassment when I realised. But actually, somebody needs to speak out and say, you know, it's okay to be
2: embarrassed. We all make mistakes. But it's yeah, and not, you know, not just it's not just your own mistakes. It, but in this sort of situation, it's um, it's just pure, like we said, mind control, isn't it? It's somebody else's mistake mm. projected onto you yes. from a child or whatever. Yeah,
1: It just shows how powerful it is, really.
2: Mm. It shows
1: how powerful that even logical and very intelligent people can be duped by you know the powerful methods that these cults use
2: i think it's that the hope hope for a better life is always on your mind isn't it no matter how intelligent you are and how uh, logical you are mm-hmm. and you, you see things for you know there are always people at a turn because there's that hope for a better life or an afterlife and um i think the unknown is so scary that we don't know what's going to happen when someone says oh this is going to happen and if you're in the right place for it if you're vulnerable then mm. it can happen to anyone i suppose and as a ch- as a child you are vulnerable
3: yeah. by the but by the, by the very fact of being a child you are vulnerable to that undue influence mm. and to, to that grooming
2: yeah that's what it is and, it, and and you're impressionable and you're you're a sponge aren't you you're told adults have told you all your life things and you believe them and they've turned out to be true you know don't put your hand on the fire it's hot it turns out to be true why wouldn't this be true yeah and there's mm-hmm. that jes there's that jesuit saying isn't there give give me the the boy until he's seven
3: and i'll give you the man
0: mm.
3: oh yeah so can i just repeat
0: that um it's a facebook page that you set up is it Naomi? yes
3: it is it's live life be free breaking the chains
0: brilliant i will put a link to that on um on the podcast um Excellent. on podbean and on the um on the youtube video Okay, thank you so much, Naomi. That was really fascinating. Now, I hope you'll join us while we discuss the rest of the items for today's show.
3: Thank you very much. Yes, that would be lovely. Um,
0: So one of the things I wanted to discuss was the absolutely brilliant article in The Guardian, which was um, the 12th, wasn't it? I think a couple of days ago. Steve, did you get a chance to see that? Yeah, I've
1: read that. Wow, that was an (laughs) eye-opener. It was good, wasn't it? It was amazing, yeah.
0: I mean, I was happy because I think The Guardian is one of the most respected papers mm-hmm. in the UK. That's just my own political <laughs> angle on it. But it is a respected paper and it was very clearly written as well, wasn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, She covered it was um a journalist called Alice Ross and she covered two issues, which we have discussed before in the podcast. So I don't want to go over them greatly but i just did want to discuss the the guardian article so she talked about the court case that was brought by um the lady who took the watchtower bible and track society to court Mm. and having appealed it um they they got landed with legal fees as well Mm. um she said they'd appealed it three times that judgment yeah that's crazy. And it's crazy,
1: it? and the very fact that they're trying to block the inquiry is just the audacity of the religion is
2: the arrogance
1: arrogant. of that. It, just, yeah. it knows no bounds. It really does. Mm.
2: When we were talking about it earlier, Heather, you were saying so. Like, what's their angle? What's the <laughs> what's the rationale? What can they possibly say that says no? You can't investigate us. We're way above you. You cannot investigate us. What? Where are they coming from? What? What? What was it? It was like their remit is too big, or something. Yeah, for the Charities Commission case. That. They
0: just said that the remit was too wide, I think. And that's why they wanted to block it. So she, she, the Guardian article talks about the, the, the High Court case and then it talks about the Charities Commission case. And I just thought there was a really nice quote from um, Faye Maxted, who was the chief executive of the Survivors Trust, which is a national sexual assault charity. And she said... It's deeply disappointing that a faith-based organisation appears to be so determined to try and avoid answering questions about its own behaviour. Mm. Yeah,
1: and th- I, I can't understand why they think they have they can use that excuse. They're a highly centralised organisation. You know, if it were just oh Christians in general or something like that, I could understand. But they're very more than more so than any other religion. They're very centralised. And, you know, they have these policies which are very, very specific that have to be implemented worldwide. They can get away with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, another interesting quote from the article was it said, um, a spokesman for the Jehovah's Witnesses said, We are in no position to, and neither would we wish, to force any victim of abuse to confront their attacker. So this is in the case of the Charities Commission investigation, isn't it, with um, the the guy in New Moston Congregation, anyway, where the the victim had to confront the attacker. Well, that's a really disingenuous thing for them to say, saying we wouldn't wish to force... An
1: outright lie.
0: Because... Yes, you could refuse to attend that elders' meeting, couldn't you? But then they wouldn't deal with the abuse. Yeah.
2: That's what they're saying. Yeah, you could, yeah, you, we can't force you to do it, but then they'd do nothing about it. Well, surely if you didn't attend it, you couldn't give your point of view and it would only be the attacker that gets his point of view across.
0: And they'd never report it to the police.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although not that they would anyway. Well, not that you could get your point of view across anyway because you're sat there with a the bloody yeah. attacker.
0: But it, I just thought that that's a really sneaky way of saying you know, oh we're, we're kind of looking out for victims of abuse we wouldn't force them into that meeting it's like saying I don't know, it's like saying we wouldn't force you into um, a judicial committee well no but then with Justice Fellowship you behind your back
1: mm-hmm.
3: and it is a matter of, of record now, public record because it's been posted on the internet the the secret mm. elders handbook the, the way that they have to follow the procedures that they have to follow and having worked as a foster carer and being very familiar with the, the way, you know, the the, the whole system works to, to protect children, the way they go about things is absolutely outrageous. Mm. You know, getting minors to confront their abuser and, to, as you say, disingenuous is the word because that is exactly mm. how they operate. That's their procedure.
1: It, and it I don't see how they much. can
3: argue with that and pretend it, otherwise.
1: It, It really does seem that every single word that they utter is is a lie. Because near the end of that article, they said, um, we also see a need to protect the confidentiality of those who seek spiritual comfort. Nevertheless, we shall diligently abide by court judgment. Well, they haven't (laughs) abided by any court judgment. They're trying to block, you know, these judgments. uh, Disingenuous, again, this word keeps popping up, but it's, it's so accurate. Yeah.
0: They also say um, we don't prevent anyone from going to the police. They say oh, it's, it's the victim's absolute right to go to the police. But if you're a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old and you've disclosed something to the elders or your parents who've gone to the elders, you're in no position as a child to go to the police. You need an adult to do it for you. And if your Maybe. parents feel that they're not allowed to, because the elders have made a very subtle comment about leaving it in jehovah's hands that's not discouraging them from going to the police but it's certainly not helping
2: yeah i mean looking at this as a as a social worker and as you know working with um children who are are abused and things and if i if i came across now a jehovah's witness child that said um they'd been sexually abused or even physically abused i would be looking on a much grander scale at the family at the elders at the everything i'd be looking at the other wow. you know, children in the congregation you know i would be opening this and taking this and fighting it as much as i can to yeah. get it as, as open as we can because i know this yeah. But i'm one of you know thousands of social workers within the uk who who i only know i know this because of because of yeah. you and because of yeah. my husband but they don't know this no and, and and it's so hidden and just like just even some of the things that they say you know that, that the child has to sit with the abuser it's absolute not what what on earth how can anybody think that that's okay in in what world is that okay i know mm. and but it just beggars belief and i think even if i told people they wouldn't believe me yeah. <laughs> i think if i went and said to my manager these children have to sit with their abuser she'd be like no she'd be like no that happen. it might have happened yeah. once but yeah. it would have been a one-off it I, would have been yeah. yeah 20 years ago maybe not yeah. now though yeah they wouldn't believe it no
0: it's happening
2: which now. is which is the story that
0: the, wit- they, the witness spokespeople propagate, isn't it? They say, oh, well, we've learned a lot in recent years. Mm. And, you know, these things that happened years ago, we've learned so much more now. But, but this stuff is happening currently. There yeah. are some stories that, I mean, some of these
2: situations are very current. It's medieval practice.
0: Yeah, it is, us, isn't, isn't it? We're yeah.
2: chopping heads off next, aren't
0: we? <laughs> so I'm sure nobody knows, but um, does anyone know how the Guardian got hold of this story? I don't know. Mm. No, I don't either. But it's a it's a cracking good story. It really. Is. Because one of the next points I was going to make was how we do get media attention. Obviously, Naomi. I mean, that was utterly amazing. That you go, you go and do a course in London, and you go and sit in a certain cafe, and there's Jeremy Vine and somebody else, and you just get chatting to them. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Generally speaking. I think we have struggled to get our stories out to the mainstream media, but um, two people I know have been pretty good at it uh, um, John Viney and Steve Rose. And what they do, I know what Steve does, is just he relentlessly emails journalists and he emails them every time there's a, a story so like when the recent what was the most recent guidelines on um, abuse child sex abuse from the elders first of august steve steve rose um gets on the email and he sends it out to all the journalists that he knows so he's managed to get stories in the hartlepool mail the northern echo and the sunday star about jehovah's witnesses so i think a bit of tenacity wow. is is worthwhile and it's quite easy to find journalists' emails now. So when I saw Alice Rose had written this story, if you go on The Guardian website, it tells you how to email specific journalists. So it'll say it's firstname.lastname at theguardian.com or each newspaper will give you. So it is possible to get hold of specific journalists' names. And if it isn't, if you don't know a contact, you can just go onto um, a newspaper website and there's, there'll be um, a contact where you can send stories.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So John Viney, he has also got stories to what he got one to the BBC, didn't he? Recently. Um, just by emailing out. So I think if if you um if you want to get stories out there, a really good starting point is looking at your local newspaper and often they're in groups. So if you can get something in like the Gloucester Citizen, um, it might be picked up
2: by the Cheltenham Echo and that might mm. be picked up by the Birmingham paper. Well, it did, didn't it? It happened when, when the spry case happened in, in Gloucestershire. And I don't know if everybody knows about that, but it was um, a horrific um, abuse case by a foster carer, a private foster carer, um, and anyway, and she was a Jehovah's Witness and she raised the children as Jehovah's Witnesses and they were um, horrifically abused. And that was, at the time, that, I want to say kind of, would have been 2005 2006 something around there it maybe was, yeah possibly a bit earlier but um and that was huge across Gloucestershire but I don't and I think it went national because they yeah, won it this did. morning and things it went national mm-hmm. didn't it um very quickly forgotten about you know by by nas- nationally but it, within this local area in Gloucestershire we all remember it and we all know the case um pretty much I think um a lot of a lot of it is if you're thinking from a business point of view as a newspaper what do you want in your newspaper you want a scandal you want shock and mm. sc- that's what readers you know thrive on, isn't it? That's what you're selling how you're selling your newspapers. Um so if I was to email them and just say, Oh, guess what happens in the Jehovah's Witnesses? They do they don't let you wear trousers. They'd be like, And you know, that's not really a story. But if you're <laughs> emailing them with a spry case, then it's ah, let's put that in the paper. So I think it does depend. Mm. If you just constantly bombard them, they're just gonna put you in your in the spam box, aren't they? And then not, mm. not answered I but- think
3: from my dealings some years ago with a, a PR and copywriter um, who did something very successful for me, getting an article in uh, to do with my business, basically. One of the things he said was that you've got to almost give them the story already written and it's got to be relevant and it's got to be obvious and there needs to be an, an obvious angle for them. Yeah,
0: that's that's really good advice. And I think where where there's some frustration around ex-witness stories is that what's shocking to us isn't shocking to an ordinary person because they've got the whole world of stories to deal with and when something's really deeply personal to you you get it but to someone else you do need it
2: very very obviously wrong for for people to be interested mm. well it 's a constant competition isn 't it between you 've got the war in you know, syria you 've got the you 've got rapists you 've got murderers, and then you know jehovah 's witnesses mm. okay, somebody was sexually abused that 's sad, but it happens a lot um, so what makes it different? What makes it a scandal for us? Why do we need to pick that paper up
0: um, another angle on getting media attention i don 't know if anyone had chance to look at this article about the um Mormon mass resignation. On Saturday, which was oh. two, well, the story was two days ago, so it was written on Friday for yesterday. Um, and what's really interesting about this is they've done it a few times now. Now, obviously, it helps if you've got loads of Mormons in Salt Lake, Salt Lake City.
1: It seems to be an event now, doesn't it?
0: Um, where people can turn up on a specific day once a year and sign a resignation paper and. If enough people do it, then you get media attention. Um, mm. But what was fascinating about this was that it, it says they had planned one every year um, for the last five years, but two extra events were held since the first one, two, <laughs> two, uh, two ones in between, because of it said they were sparked by the revelation of new information contained in the LDS handbook intended for local-level church officials, such as bishops and stake presidents, so a bit like Our Elders handbook so what had happened on the two extra events was that the this handbook had kind of revealed that children raised in same-sex households would be barred from participating in lds i call, call it lds mormon rituals yeah. until they reached the age of 18 and that they'd have to denounce their parents homosexual lifestyle
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that and it said that they also introduced a policy viewing um, sexually active same-sex couples within the church as apostates. Well, of course, we already have that with the witnesses, but this must have come as a shock to Mormons. So in one of these extra events, as soon as this information came out, it said the LGBT community was outraged and um, about 2,000 people turned up to
2: to resign from being Mormons. I love that. (laughs)
1: Absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. They should do one for Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm just thinking that. these? Well, this is the thing. I was thinking the same. Something
0: big with lots of people doing the same thing at the same time would attract media attention, wouldn't it? But we don't have, like, a city where we all live, yeah. <laughs> do we, really? So they do have the edge on having Salt Lake City. Um, and it, the people who ran it, so I'm going to try and get one of these people on the podcast. I think it would be amazing to interview them. Awesome. They, I don't know who's organised it, but they had speakers there. So they had a whole day in the park with speakers. Um, One was a woman who was an attorney and a a feminist who worked for the inclusion of women in the LDS priesthood. One was a guy called Jeff Ricks, who's the director of postmormon.org. He was going to speak, and then um somebody from the LGBT activist transgender community who had been raised as a Mormon boy and obviously left he spoke as well and um somebody else who who'd done some work about the mass shooting at the gay nightclub in um, Florida, he spoke as well, but yeah, I did think if that Something like that would make a really powerful statement, wouldn't it? Mm. And what the article said about it, because it was reported in the the American media, Uh, they said it's really quite emotional for people who are there, said Steve Holbrook, oh, an organiser of the recurring events. He said, it's always hard right down to the wire. We see people physically shaking as they sign the forms. It says, for the for the families and friends who always hoped that they would come back to the church, it's the last nail in the coffin. Resigning
2: is a hard thing to do. So he's an active Mormon, is he? I
0: don't think he is, He's, no. a, he's an ex. He right. must right. So be an ex. It's
2: the exes that, that, that organise organize it. it, right, because it and wouldn't make sense otherwise, would no. it? Mind,
0: not no, and it happens every year. And oh. they thought they were going to get between five hundred and a thousand yesterday. Obviously, they didn't know beforehand. Mm. But for these these events in between, where something big's been revealed, then two thousand turned up, and they must sign like a. Oh, they have. They actually have a legal person who um, who processes these resignations. Oh, wow. It says they have a Utah attorney who handles resignations for free. Like, oh, I didn't realise you had to pay to leave the Mormons. And he, he <laughs> stated that he and his staff have processed more than 12,000 resignations. So they must have like a little process, mustn't they? Yeah.
2: Yeah, they must too.
1: Much more organised than the JW. Yeah. They
2: must sign them into some kind of contract that you have to get a lawyer to get you out of. Well, you say they're more organised, but you've got women here trying to go up in the world of the Mormons it's not on is it
0: maybe they're a bit more liberal than us because they they clearly do have same-sex couples in there they just don't want them to be
1: sexually active (sighs) I'm surprised about that yeah very surprised what's what's
3: ironic about the Watchtower and the JWs is that for instance I got baptized when I was 13 if I asked for proof that I got baptized I wouldn't be able to get it you know people are now sort of requesting and the freedom of information thing for any data and and there's no records. Well, if there's no records you ever got baptised, how can you be held accountable for that decision?
1: Mm, just went for a swim that day. <laughs> yeah.
3: And, and also at the age of 13, you know, you're not allowed to get married, vote, drive a car. And yet you're allowed to make a
2: decision well, that impacts the rest of your life. Well, yeah, I mean, if you life. were to put that yeah. into, um, into social work terms, as I would, <laughs> um, we, we have um, the Gillick competencies. You probably know from being a foster carer that if your your child is uh, Gillick competent, then they're able to make a decision regardless Really, I think I don't. I'm not sure if there is an age cut off. with GILIT competency. Is there? Is it, it over tends 13? To be around
0: 13. It's 13. It might it? be over but, 13.
2: If, yeah, but
0: they do assess each child, don't they? But, so it yes. can be younger if the child is particularly
2: yeah clear and yeah exactly yeah. So if you've got a child who needs medical attention and yes. the the, um, the parent won't sign or whatever they if they're gillet competent they can sign their own.
3: But can you imagine if they were actually, I said to somebody the other day about this, um, maybe it was you, Louise, about having terms and conditions. If they actually set out their terms and conditions clearly, that if at some point you change your mind and you no longer want to be a witness um, and you want to leave, that this is what will happen. You will lose your family and newfound friends. Anybody who's in the witnesses, you they will not speak to you anymore. You will be dead to us. Well, you know that would be more, and honest, you would wouldn't think it? about mm. it a lot more mm. if
0: that was put in front of you, wouldn't you? If you, if you would, you don't think about that. I mean, I remember getting baptized, and I was sixteen, and so I knew about shunning, but I never put the two together. It, I never linked getting baptized mm. with then it being a process of me shunning if I ever wanted to leave. And I probably would have said, "Whoa, why would I mm. ever want to leave?" It's the truth. That's crazy. I don't ever want to leave, but. again lots of people post online and say can this be challenged legally especially if you've got baptized as as very young because you can't sign contracts when you're young i think i don't think it's legally enforceable and therefore it's not a legal construct and therefore there isn't a legal remedy to it Mm. um it baptism is just a an invented thing it's not a legal thing it's not a contract there's nothing that you're enforcing now i know that following that shunning happens but you couldn't get a legal remedy for that either you couldn't go to a court and say force people to speak to me no nope. exactly mm. because the threat of the threat of
2: um the wrath of jehovah or the yeah. witnesses or whatever i mean so much bigger than the court isn't it surely to, to yeah
0: believers. So you mm-hmm. could you could say if you could get a legal remedy to say yes your baptism wasn't valid when you were 13 it's annulled like you could have a wedding annulled so you know your baptism's annulled they would still shun you yeah so what you'd need then is a second legal remedy that says and you must speak to Naomi when you see her and you must be nice to her yeah <laughs> hello Naomi no not like that that's a, not part a, of the country yeah. <laughs> yeah. you've right got home.
3: to <laughs> nicely and of course the whole shunning thing is a two-way process you know you it you it requires it relies on two people complying with the process mm. and as I said to you the other day Louise when I I've moved now from from where I, I used to live where I used to know quite a few witnesses but when I used to bump into them, even if they avoided bumping into me, um, you know, maybe I was going around um, Waitrose, you know, and I would see them and think, oh, yeah, they're avoiding me. And I, I would actually d- deliberately walk round, and so that I would come up in front of them and I'd just say hello. Or if they walk past me in the street and they tried to, you know, to ignore me, um, I'd just husband, say, hello, um, how are you? Yeah. You know, I wouldn't participate in it. It's yeah. like, you're the one that's <laughs> yeah. I'm not a shunny. Yeah.
0: Did you see the post on Facebook where uh, a a girl put that her dad was being reinstated and he'd asked her to park in a different place in town because it was it would be awkward for him to shun her if he bumped into her because he often bumped into her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I saw oh, that one. I, I, I saw was like that. saying, oh, now, nah, Heather, I'd like to punch you in the face, but can, can you not dodge my punch? Yeah, I can I get closer, please? I can't but, can you not move? Yeah. Oh, it's a bit awkward for me when you move about. Unbelievable, that's, that's unbelievable no we can't we can't make it really, easier for you no. to shun us although having said that when i see um witnesses in tesco's we don't have a Waitrose in gloucester <laughs> I'm assuming Tesco's. I always slide down jams and spreads
2: because <laughs> cause they don't buy them. <laughs> they're not allowed sugar. Yeah, because <laughs> I can't stand talking to them. Oh, <laughs> just... down the alcohol aisle. Oh, no, oh, probably yeah. be there.
0: they're <laughs> all down the alcohol aisle. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, it's it's funny, the last time I spoke to somebody, I was actually visiting um, where I used to live in Whitney, and, and I popped into to, to Wake Droves and I did bump into some witnesses and the the husband is somebody who usually avoids me he's an elder and he manages to avoid me but his wife she's she's lovely she's a little bit dippy but she's absolutely lovely and and I just sort of sauntered up and hello how are you and we had a lovely chat and then her husband came and joined us because he didn't have a choice and obviously he had to monitor what I was going to say and she was actually able to update me on people who had left Yes, and she, because they were, you know, one was an old friend of mine who I hadn't spoken to for quite some years, um, and you know, she she lives down in the south of England um, on the on the coast now, and and she said, um, and she said, oh, she's left, and it was like, oh, good. <laughs> We're, we're not far from <laughs> the champagne aisle. I'll go and grab a bottle. Well, right. You know what would be really cool, Steve, is when you do your London
0: Museum tours, if mm. you see brothers and sisters going round with the J-Dub tour, and then,
3: like, the next year, <laughs> they're on your tour.
1: <laughs> that would be amazing, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. noticed,
3: though, there's there's a lot more activism now than yeah. there ever was.
0: Yes, you've just reminded me, A actually. lot more. I did want to mention a little bit of activism Um, from a group of ex-witnesses up in Leeds who went to the um, Leeds convention this weekend. And they sat outside with cards and leaflets and things. But what utterly amazed me was that um, the lady who was there said, well, obviously when they were in groups, they'd walk past us. But she said stragglers came and spoke to them. I find that amazing that anyone would speak to apostates but yeah she said stragglers did come and speak to us and we had a few conversations so I mean that's incredible isn't it
3: what was weird Mm. though
0: about it was um, somebody else went into the um, convention ground on Friday dressed as a witness with his suit and tie and shirt on and he had the badge as well and um, they kettled him and made him leave Um, and they said we we don't know if this is true but it's quite frightening if it is true they said that they had a photo of him and that they'd all they'd all been like instructed to keep him out because they knew he wasn't a witness they knew he was an ex-witness and what he said was he'd heard that they were asking people to leave who weren't wearing badges you know the the jw badges and the lady that organized the activism the day after outside the ground said that in a previous year um, a pastor's wife had gone to just to visit the assembly and she'd been asked to leave. How do they know?
1: Oh,
0: Isn't oh, it? That is a sign God. of a cult. But, but it's a public mm. event and it's supposed to be like to try and get people to... I mean, they advertise it, don't they? they? want people to go. So why are they asking people to leave who clearly aren't Jehovah's Witnesses? Surely they want those people in there. I had a leak yesterday
2: through the post. They don't see their own no, cognitive no. dissonance, clearly. Say? It was about the convention, is that right? Is there one coming up? Is, is there? there? Yeah. I had a little, but they didn't knock on the door. Oh, okay. Unless they knocked like, you is know. Is it like just an invite? That fake knock. So, yeah, uh, it was, I don't know, I didn't read it. Have honesty, you still got it? Read. I didn't read I've still got it, yeah. Oh, can I have it please? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like a, yeah, this is going on, sort of come along. And there was a, a scripture quote on the front and things and a picture of some Jesus or someone.
0: Nice. Yeah,
2: it, it was beautiful. I could use that. Yeah. Thank you.
0: I shall give you that. Thank you. Um, so finally just to wrap this up I just need to let you know Steve I'm coming down your way soon be scared be very (laughs) very very scared (laughs) oh dear (laughs) 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 oh you know we all adore you but I adore you more than most (laughs) so yeah I'm going to come and do your tour
1: oh great yeah well the next tour is uh, 27th of August so yeah so British Tour it's the fourth one that we've done um, 24, 27th, sorry, right, 27th of August at around 11 o'clock. And then after that, we'll be going to the um, end of summer XJW meetup in Vauxhall, a riverside pub in Vauxhall. So um yeah, it'll be a, f- a fun-packed day. And uh, yeah, the, the, the museum tour is free to attend, but uh we accept voluntary donations. Um, I've got a
0: voluntary donation and, yeah, for you. Come along. <laughs> Give you and I'll see you. Yeah, I think Smoot. He's not going to do it now. You he didn't have to tell him.
3: Now. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> oh,
1: no, I know, I know.
3: <laughs> uh, and uh, guys, I was planning to come to the meetup as well to to really milk my minor celebrity oh, yeah. status.
2: Oh, I will see you there then. What date is it? Hopefully, yeah. Of September sorry. 27th. 27th. Of august. Yeah, uh, August. august oh, next Saturday. Like yeah. two
0: weekends away. Is it? Oh, right.
1: Yep, two weekends I away. I should oh. check
2: my diary. Oh, cool. <laughs> not that I'm an xjw but you will let me in, won't you? You're you're part of the team. I'm I'm part yeah. of the team now. Yeah. <laughs> there is
0: um actually just one last thing I want to mention. There is a lady in the UK group who's who's not an XJW, but she's the partner of an XJW. That woman is like you. She's absolutely invaluable. She knows everything there is to know. About XJWness, and she's a really good support for the increasing number of people I see that are becoming partners of XJWs who then decide that they they want to go back, and the whole relationship gets turned upside down. And you know, there's a whole new,
1: mm.
0: a whole new need. I think I've seen it a few times now, and I always tag either Heather or this other girl—I don't want to mention a name—just because of the sheer amount of knowledge that you've got. Of living that, because I always say, "Oh, leave them, leave them, leave them. If they're going back, leave them." But, but this girl, she um, she's managed to make it work, and she's lived through a lot of turmoil. But mm-hmm. it's working, and she didn't take my advice to leave him, thankfully. And, <laughs> and and she's glad that she didn't. So I always say something really negative, and then I tag her. Oh. <laughs> So I just want to say that I think you guys are really invaluable to the XJW community because there's a need for people who've lived the other side, you know,
2: who've mm. been the partner of. I wonder if it's worth setting up a, a Facebook page for, for partners of or for spouses of yeah. or children of or like, whatever. Yeah,
0: like the AA have a family yeah. of, don't they? Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So we can support them in our own yeah. way. I don't know.
0: I wonder if that's another yes. media angle. Yes, yeah. Because that would counter the we don't split families up thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah right well thank you all so much for this week's podcast it's been really interesting and i really appreciate steve the effort that you put in in finding an internet connection uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's
1: been it's been on and off uh, and but...
0: naomi when we <laughs> did a trial uh run our connection was pants wasn't it so <laughs> yeah well, so well, thank just... you as well um so um say goodbye steve yeah
1: it's goodbye from me <laughs>
0: Uh say goodbye Heather. Goodbye. And thank you very much. Goodbye Naomi. Goodbye.